Hi, I'm Reagan, and thanks for listening to my dad's podcast, Lasting Learning. Hi, this is Dave Schmidow, the host of the Lasting Learning Podcast. On this show, we talk to real people with real stories. We focus on the focus and discuss what matters most. Let's go. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. You can find out more at teachbetter.com slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Lasting Learning Podcast. Today, you are in for an absolute treat. Today, we have a person on the the show who is going to be just so incredible. And I know this because I kind of cyber stalk her. Whenever I'm feeling low, whenever I'm feeling frustrated, I just check out what she's putting out and it it uplifts me like like nothing else. She's out there trying to truly hack education, but in reality, she's hacking my brain and she's making me feel so positive about all things in life and um, all things about education, all things about school. She just provides so much stinking value. It's crazy. And I'm so glad that she is here to join us today. We have a wife, we have a mother, we have an educator, we have a woman who's just out there trying to change behaviors and trying to change our approach to all that we do in education. Michelle, thank you so much for being here today. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited. Absolutely. Now, there are some people that are tuning in right now, and they they see your face, and they recognize you from all of your posts online because you are just, you're world famous. But there might be some people (laughs) that are listening to the audio right now, and they don't necessarily know who you are. Can you just take a few minutes and introduce yourself to the world? Sure. I am originally from Kansas, born and raised. I've been living in the Lone Star State for about 15 years now. So I am a mom to four. We've got three kiddos at home. Um, I also have two grandbabies. One will be a year on Sunday. Yay, congratulations. How does a 25-year-old have grandbabies? Right, yeah. (laughs) Well, I may have gotten divorced and then remarried a man that had a couple of kids that were a little bit older. Well played. But I'm super excited about that. She's an absolute doll. Um, And it's been really neat to kind of watch um, my oldest kind of transition from a kid. You know, when I met him, he was, had just turned like 18. And so he thought he was an adult, but he wasn't really an an adult. And now he's married and he has this amazing wife and this cute, adorable baby. And just kind of seeing how he's been navigating that. I mean, he's doing such a good job. So proud of him. So and then I have um, a 15-year-old, a 13-year-old girl, and then my youngest is 11. So we stay pretty busy. I've also got dogs <laughs> that keep me busy. <laughs> so you'll have to stay tuned. I've got Easter pajamas for the dogs, and I got matching outfits for the kids. So you'll have to stay tuned for that. I am um, doing everything in my power right now not to interrupt and ask like a thousand questions. I'm just going to let you keep rolling, though. Keep going. Keep going. Um, and... You know, I've been back in education for four years now. So I got my start actually working at a private school in Kansas for kids with developmental disabilities. And we were kind of the last train on this tracks to Institutionville. 
So if they weren't successful with us, they were probably going to be heavily medicated and put away somewhere, unfortunately. And I really saw true miracles happen there. I mean, hand to God, I saw amazing, amazing things. This whole campus of people just centered around these kids and how they could hold them up years of change and progress and you know we would see kids say their first word to their parents using an adaptive device and you know things like that are, are very very powerful so then when I came out of Texas I did a few other things I've had my own business and I really missed kids so I went back to teaching so and I've always been in behavior special education units and now I bounce around to 14 schools K through 12 and I help teachers build better relationships with kids. Wow. So yeah. let, let me, before we get rolling, just tell you, you know, I, I had, I had a serviceman on this show several weeks ago and I could not stop saying thank you for your service. Thank you for your <laughs> service because what you are doing, you are truly going to the battlefield every single you are doing the work that none of us are willing to do and that none of us are capable of doing. And you do it with such grace and such a smile every single day. I mean, I, I want to I unpack so much of this. So I'm going to go back, if that's okay, before we start talking Absolutely. about the day-to-day the, the -day grind that you're in right now. Um, you said you started off in Kansas. Yep. Um, and when you were there, to use your words, you were the last stop um, on the way to basically institutionalized learning. Um, I'm wondering, when you first signed up to do that work, did you feel like your job was just a stepping stone to institutionalized learning? Or did you feel like you were there to stop kids from getting to that point? Oh, definitely. We were there to intercede and show that these kids could go and do amazing things. And so and, that, that was so, so how, how does So how does that happen? Is it a mindset or are there actual practices and policies you had to, to change? What, talk, talk to me a little bit about that. You know, I have thought about the magic of this place several times. I so wish they would pick up and move to Texas. I would 100% beg for a job there after all this time. Cause it was just such an, it was like the Disneyland of special education. I mean, it was just such an amazing place. And we would, we're fortunate to have um, kiddos that would come in, like, you know, maybe they were from Chicago or, you know, Minnesota, and they would come in as fifth, sixth graders, and they would stay with us until they graduated. And so we got to see amazing progress. And towards the end of my time there, one of the things that I did was I helped train all the paraprofessionals and teachers to work with the kids. And we would say, you know, okay, you're going to go out and do some observations in the classroom or in the home tonight. Tell me what you think. And they would come back. And one of the amazing things was we got to say, you know, oh, did you know Jimmy? And they're like, yeah, I met Jimmy. And I'm like, yeah, how'd you, you know, what do you think? Oh, he's so nice. He's such a cool kid. He took me around and showed me everything. And I said, yeah, did you know when Jimmy came to our campus, he had to have two to one staffing because he was such a danger to himself. And they would be like, no way. And I'm like, yeah, that's the kind of work we do here. But it was, it's truly just this magical place. Like I said, I would still be there if we hadn't moved to Texas. So, But you know as well as I do, it's not the place. It's the people. 
It's the people that are in the place. The reason that Disney is this magical place is because all of the characters that are there greeting you and hugging you and making you feel like you're the most important person on the planet, along with the other million people that are funneling through their doors every single day, you feel like you've entered this enchanted land. And I can only imagine the kids that are coming to you in, Mm -hmm. in this magical place they didn't feel like they were the most important person on the planet. I can only imagine they felt like they were the cast-offs. They were, they were the people that were being told that they did not fit where everybody else did. Yeah. So can you talk, how, how in the world do you take these kids that feel like they, are rejects, they were rejects, they were placed on this island of misfit toys and make them feel like they have a purpose and that they, their destiny can be changed? Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, I tell teachers now, they ask me, you know, what works and and what do we do? And I'm like, you know, the only thing we can do is offer consistent, caring, compassion. That's it. Over the long term, it's a long game. It's not going to happen overnight. It's going to not happen in a week. Um, And that's the only thing that we can do. That's all we can offer. Jody Carrington says, you know, you can't, kids can't give what they don't have and what they've never received. A lot of these kids that came to us had never been in an academic environment that celebrated their success and understood that all kids learn differently. You know, and it, what was also powerful was seeing the change in families because moms and dads and grandmas and brothers and sisters were also at their wits end, like, what are we going to do? And for them to be able to come and see and visit, and we got to do home visits and see the progress that their kid was making. I mean, I get chills thinking about it. You can't ask for anything better than that. I mean, I, I didn't live it, and I'm feeling the chills right yeah. now, so I can only imagine. It's an amazing place, yeah. Yeah, and then, so how, how many years did you take off between your current role and that? About 10. Okay. Yeah. So in those 10 years, and traversing to a completely different state, uh-huh. and we're not, we're not Texas bashing at all. Texas is an amazing place. <laughs> it's a phenomenal place. I love Texas. I, however, I can only imagine there were a few changes that you had to come to appreciate um, as you entered this new world. Um, Can you just describe for me a little bit what that culture shock was like when you first stepped into your, your new reality and said, okay, this is different. Yeah. Well, I think the biggest change for me was I was coming from a place where people just did what was best for kids. And then seeing that Texas just didn't have the services or the money, they had the money, they weren't allocating the money towards those types of services. And I looked for so long, um, when we moved down here, I was pregnant with my daughter. I looked for so long to find a place like that, that I could work and fit in. And I didn't care if it was with kids or with adults. I just wanted to be around that and I could not find it. And so I ended up kind of doing my own thing and then, um, you know, after divorce and all that, I thought, gosh, I, I really just want to go back and work with kids. So that's what I did. What was, you said you wanted to find it. What, what is that it that you were looking for? I mean, when you, when you're out there looking for these places that had that thing, did, was it an, unta- an intangible where you're just looking for the people that you could relate to? Was it a process procedures? What yeah. is the it? It was more people. I mean, I did some, I worked for a couple of um, agencies that worked with adults with developmental disabilities. And that wasn't altogether new for me because I had worked through college, you know, doing that. Um, but what I couldn't find was the passion in the people. You know, they were just kind of 
and not to put, you know, I don't want to talk bad about anyone, but it's like they didn't realize what they had in front of them. And they were content to just kind of let it sit and fester. And, you know, there was no progress being made. And, 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 and I, don't, I don't take that as bashing at all. I think that's a reality for a lot of us. Yeah. I think a lot of us sit in our reality and think this is, this is where it is. This yeah. is a lot in life or this is just a job. Um, and it's, these are just the kids I have, or this yeah. is just the system I work in and we're waiting for the system to change before yeah. we change. Yeah. And we forget that we are part of the system and we can drive that change. We can be the change agent. We can be the, the, the one kid or the one person that impacts that kid that then leads to this completely <laughs> changed destiny. Absolutely. So I, I'm wondering what is it about the place you're at right now that led you to say, yeah, this is it. This is, this is where I want to attach myself. You know, I actually, I don't think I've told anybody that I worked with yet, but I actually kind of lucked into this position. So, um, <laughs> my husband and I, we decided that we were going to move to this area, um, to help take care of his father because his mom had just passed away and his father's elderly. And, um, it was just a good move. And we thought, okay, we're going to have, you know, we have three kids at home. We're going to have all three kids at the same school district. You know, there's so many things when you blend a family that come into play. We're going to have everybody in the same school district. I'm going to look for a job in the district. That way, all of our um, breaks and things like that will line up. Um, you know, it'll be a good move for us. So I saw the posting for the job and I thought it was for a behavior special education room. I thought, oh, perfect. That sounds exactly like me. <laughs> so I went into the interview and then I found out that it was more like a, um, for lack of a better word, a bounce around job where I would go in and help support kids and teachers on different campuses. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, that sounds really interesting. Why not? So I, like I said, I lucked into it. They gave me a chance and I've been there. This is my third year now and I absolutely love it. And I see so many good people every single day pouring their heart into those kids and it's, it's magic. So someone that loves making those connections with the individual kids and forming those relationships and seeing them grow and change yeah. and develop throughout the years, how are you able to, to manage not necessarily yeah. having that? You know, it's funny because I think what gets me still is, because I will go in and I'll help, say I go into a fifth grade classroom in August, September, and I kind of help out maybe a new teacher set up some, you know, policies and procedures, you know, classroom management stuff. And then I won't come back for a couple of months, say after winter break. And I come back in January and I open up the door and those kids are like, Miss Gonzalez, and they run over. And it's like, wow, I didn't even do anything here. Like I literally was just in the room helping the teacher, but I still had that huge impact on those kids. And I think I get to see that. And I think sometimes when you teach, you know, fifth grade or sixth grade or ninth grade or 12th grade, you think that you don't have an impact because you're in the thick of it every day, but you really do. And I'm always shocked. And I'll tell people all the time, I'm always shocked about how everybody always thanks me because when I come, I don't really do anything special. I'm literally just there. <laughs> okay. So first of all, the fact that you willingly choose to be there is huge because yeah. there are so many, myself included, who I know for a fact, I, I would not be successful there. And I mean, it, because I have it in my head that I'm not, yeah. I would not be successful there, yeah. but you have it in your head and your heart that that's yeah. where you need to be. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, now is, I'm working with general education. Is, is it as simple as that? Is it as simple as thinking that you can make an impact? Or is there more to the secret sauce? You know, I don't know. I think um, I look at things a bit differently. You know, I mentioned that I went through a divorce. Um, before I married my husband, I was engaged to a man that ended up passing away. And I look at every single moment now as I'm lucky to even be here. Like I'm blessed to be here. I'm blessed to hear you. I'm blessed to have a job. I'm blessed to have a great husband that loves my kids as much as I do. I have great kids and great stepkids. You know, so I think that kind of changes my perception a little bit. And I'm always the one that'll say, well, you know, this kid called me an F and B in class. And I'm like, well, hey, at least they spoke to you today, right? Like I'm always looking for the silver lining because for so long, that was all I had. Like I had to find it every day to keep going forward to kind of get through that. So I think that's why. Like I'll always, always look for the good, always look for the progress. You know, maybe tomorrow you'll only get called the B word and not the F and B word. <laughs> progress. Well, I, I, I mean, holy cow, I've got to compliment you so much here. Um, <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to take this in bite-sized chunks. Um, that's, that's a part of your story I didn't necessarily know. And yeah, not a lot of people do. I don't want to fixate on that part of the story. And instead, I want to fixate on your perspective throughout it. Um, I've had Allison Apsey on the show before, and a lot of people know Allison Apsey, and she talks about serendipitous moments and how you yeah. take these painful moments and you learn from them and you grow from them. Yeah. And to a lot of people, that sounds like a great idea, but following through and practicing it is completely yeah. different. How in the world have you gotten yourself to this place where you are able to actually apply that and say, well, I'm blessed. I mean, yeah, Texas, I'm sure has had an influence on that because everything in Texas, everybody in Texas is blessed with everything. Um, but but you, you, you live it and you breathe it there. Are, I, I can't even imagine. I'm, I would probably, I, I know where I would be in that moment. I would not be looking at life through this serendipitous lens like you are. Yeah. Have you always had that where you thought, okay, this is happening for a reason. I'm going to grow through it. I'm going to yeah. smile through it. So, no. so where did that come from? In fact, I joke about like pictures of me as a kid that I had like RBF, like resting bitch face, even <laughs> as like a toddler. Like I was this horribly sullen kid, shy, you know, don't make me talk in front of people, but just through this and kind of through those experiences, I've just learned that you know, life is for the living. And the only way I can honor what we had is to do well after and to take care of myself and the kids, you know, and I mean, it truly is. And I, you know, I will tell my husband now, I'm like, I, I think he sent him, sent you to me. Cause he would always say, you know, when he was in the hospital, he's like, why don't you leave me and go find a healthy man? And I'm like, no way I'm here. We're going to get through this. And then later I'm like, you know, maybe he had a hand in this because I'm so blessed. I mean, and content. And I tell my husband this every day because he, he'll, he'll get riled up over, you know, traffic or something silly. And I'm like, take a look at the life we have. We have four amazing kids. We have a gorgeous house that I love. I would not want to move here for anything. Your dad's down the street. My family's healthy. We are so blessed, you know, so. Your, your husband has to be an amazing man too. You know, because, <laughs> yeah. Seriously, because. Yes. Because the, the life that you've lived and the stuff that you deal with day in and day out and the stuff you've had to overcome, I'm sure yeah. he carries part of that burden as well. He does, yeah. Um, he does. How, how, 
how does that work? How do you balance? I mean, you've got three kids at home, four total kids. Yeah. Yet the job you have is one with a tremendous burden and a tremendous expectation. Yeah. How does that, how does that balance work out for you personally and for the family? You know, I think you just have to keep in mind that we're in it for the long game. You know, like today I was joking with a coworker. I, I was, I labeled today big fat fail Friday at work because I just, you know, every second in teaching is a judgment call, especially when you work with at risk kids or kids who are struggling. And I feel like I made the wrong judgment call. And I'm like, it's a big fat fail Friday, but guess what? Monday morning, I'm going to go back in there. I'm going to reconnect with that child and I'm going to try to right the wrong. Not that there was any wrong, but go back and make that connection because it didn't go well and I need it to go well. And I need her to feel like it's important to me that it goes well. But, but in your current role, you're supposed to be the expert. You're supposed to be the one that comes in and shows everybody else how it's supposed to be done. People don't expect you to fail. They expect you to nail it every single time, don't they? Yeah, they do. And they, they always ask me, you know, well, what do you do? And I'm like, you know, I'm just good at building relationships with kids. That's all it is. I always tell people there's no fairy dust. There's no glitter I can sprinkle on you. You know, there's no magic wand. It's connection and relationships. And that's it. That's the secret sauce. But, but what does that look like? Because I think the idea of relationships in schools right now, it's completely in vogue. SEL, yeah. social emotional learning, um, mental health awareness. I mean, that's, that is all the rage right now. We're talking about making connections and really relating with kids. And I think everybody understands the importance behind that. I think everybody truly believes the importance behind that. But I think you can attest to this too. Not everybody is really good at it. Yeah. Not everybody truly understands how it's done. I, I think about myself, for example, when I was a classroom teacher, I, I knew how to make relationships with kids. I could connect with kids on a real level because I am a 42-year-old man who is trapped in a 12-year-old mind. I mean, <laughs> I, I still act like a 12-year-old. Yeah. I still think like a 12-year-old. I still make decisions like a 12-year-old. As a result, I don't have adult friends, but I can make connections with kids any day of the week. Yeah. But there are a lot of adults out there that continue to think like adults and continue to be adults and continue to have adults, um, that this adult lens and this adult wall up. They have a thousand adult friends, but they can't connect with kids. Yeah. So talk to me, what does, what does it mean to truly have relationships with kids? When you say it's just what you do, because your responsibility is not just to be that relationship, but to also help others make those relationships. How, yeah. how would you coach somebody through that? You know what? I try to tell them to put on you know, to get their glasses on. We're going to go down the empathy, walk of empathy here, because I think a lot of times, you know, kids will, they'll maybe be that a certain way, or they'll be kind of salty or rude or angry, but nobody asks them why, you know, and, and it's like, ask the kid, you know, are you okay? Is there something going on? And I always tell them to assume positive regard with a kid, you know, like maybe he has his hoodie up. Don't assume it's just to make you mad. You know, and don't assume that it's just to break a rule. Like maybe something's going on and to kind of approach it from there. And then I always tell people, find one thing, one thing that you can compliment a kid on at least once a day, at least once a day. I don't care if it's their shirt, their shoes, their haircut, whatever it is. And then when you go home and this kid's on your mind because he's driven you crazy all day and he's pushed your buttons and he's shaked, I call them foundation shakers where they make you question why you went into teaching. You have to find that one thing in him 
that's like, yeah, you know what? Maybe he'll be a great lawyer someday because he's super good at arguing with me on everything. Or maybe he'll be an actor because he does not break character once he decides he's going <laughs> down a certain path. Like he sticks with it, you know? And so I always try to tell kids, you know, your tenacity and your persistence and your stubbornness are all good things. We just have to figure out how to use them to get you to a point where you're successful at school. And how can we do that? You know, and I don't think I'm, I always loved school, but I tell my husband all the time, I was good at school. Not that I was smart, but I was just good at following directions and doing things the way the teacher wanted the first time. Kids don't have that. And I also too remind people, you know, it's not inappropriate behavior for a 16 year old to be a little sassy and salty. I mean, that's kind of comes with the territory of being a teen. Just like it's not out of the realm of possibility for a 10 year old to, you know, flick a booger on somebody. Like those are just things that kids do. Appropriate at school, no, but they're still age appropriate. Like we're not, you know, burning banks here. So, you know, just keep in perspective. I, I think that is so, so good. You know, my, my buddy Brian Mindler talks all the time about I, making sure that you are personable, but don't take it personally. Yeah. I think that it, what you just said is so spot on. It's not about the sticker charts. It's not about having a, um, a, a clip on the wall. It's not about the consequences you can provide to kids. It's about the lens in which you look at kids. It's the, the perspective. When you say make that connection, focus on that one thing with the kid that um, is a strength for them, it's not because you necessarily need to use that one thing to then manipulate that kid somehow. Right. It's because it now changes your lens. You're not looking at all the deficits the kid has. You're now identifying something positive about that kid and it's allowing you to truly focus on the good assume the good and doubt the bad and teach them coach them lead them model from that um that avenue of optimism hope um and just truly focusing on their god-given gift because everybody has something good about them and if you don't believe that then get out of the freaking profession Absolutely. And I see, you know, I mean, I'm always amazed at what kids come up with and like some of the things that they do. It's like, I can't, like you are very creative and I love that. However, let's talk about how we can do that in school. And, you know, I just think they have so much to say and nobody really listens to them. And so I always come at it from the viewpoint of the kid, you know, and then I always, then I think, okay, well, how am I going to support this teacher to support these kids? Because sometimes the kids are really hard to support. You know, so I'm always telling teachers, don't let them get you to give up on them. Don't let them get you to give up on them because that's not what they want. They want you to want them to do well. They just don't act like it. <laughs> like everything's counterintuitive with behavior. So true. So, true. Yeah. so I'm, I'm curious right now. I'm going to take a slightly different um, sure. spin right now. So you've got four, four kids, three of them currently living at home. Yep. I'm wondering, I'm processing this through my own lens. So my oldest is 14 right now love him to pieces but man my patience runs a whole lot thinner with him than anybody else on this planet yeah how in the how how do you um relate to the kids you have at home do you are you able to process things the same way at home as you do at work or are you like oh my god i pull my hair out every single day at home i mean how does that work for you in the real world you know i think i just got really lucky because we okay, have- stop, stop. Remember, you're in Texas. You're not lucky. You are blessed. Go ahead. Keep going now. I mean, we do. I mean, our kids do silly kid things, but at the end of the day, they're all really good kids, you know, and 
I'm always amazed at how well they do. And, you know, I was so proud of my, my youngest last week, he was at the school and it was, you know, he's 11, he's in sixth grade and he wants to come home after dark, right? Like that's the big thing. And we live, I mean, I love our neighborhood, but we're outside of Dallas. Like it's not like where I grew up and you could be on the streets after dark because nobody else was out. So I'm like, okay, right at dusk, start heading home. And we're like three blocks from the school. So it's not like a huge deal. But he texted me and he's like, hey, um, my friend, whose name is Lauren, her mom's on her way to get her. We're going to wait until her mom picks her up before we head home. Is that okay? And it was like, oh, yes. Thank you. You know, and I, when he got home, I'm like, thanks for letting me know. And thanks for staying so that she didn't have to wait for herself. I mean, so I think we're just really lucky. Okay, However, I'm going to stop you. I'm going to, I cannot let you just keep saying that you're lucky or blessed because that is so much BS and you know that it is because kids are a product of their environment, right? Yeah. That's like a, a teacher saying, I just got bad kids in my class this year, or I just happened to get <laughs> good kids. In my yeah. class. It's all about what yeah. you do to develop them and the relationship that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, I just talk real with them. Like I don't sugarcoat a lot of things, you know, um, For instance, like one year, my now freshman was, um, you know, he's such a bright kid, but he's that bright kid that can also um, drive teachers crazy, right? And he was a a lot more sassier back then than he is now. Um, He's matured a lot, but finally I told him, I'm like, look, Colty, you, you know, there's two months of school left. You have this teacher one hour a day. Figure out how many hours that is. And it ended up being like less than 24 hours. I'm like, you have less than 24 hours to have to be in front of this person. That's it. That's all you got to do. For less than a day, you've got to put a smile on your face and go in and act like you care about her class. Please just do that. And he was like, okay. So, yeah. so you just said something in there. You used the word act. You said, I want you to go in and act like you. Like oh. Is that actually part of the game that we're supposed to be playing in life and in school? I mean, being, being very real. At times, do we have to simply act it so that, until we start believing it? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's especially true for teachers. I can't tell you how many amazing teachers I see and I walk in and they think I know something about curriculum and they start like apologizing for And I'm like, I don't know anything about curriculum. Oh, time out. My, my title is executive director of curriculum instruction. I've used that exact same line more times than I care to admit. Carry on. Um, And so, and they're like, they're like apologizing. I'm like, I thought you were great. You were connecting with your kids. You were doing, and it's like, I always tell them, I'm like, Act like you know what you're doing. And I, I tell them too, my, one of my favorite things we do on a professional development for first year teachers is I'm like, you know all those people in your school that you think really have their stuff together and they're doing so well? They're not. They're just like us. They're just better at hiding it. They're better at doing it. And that's part of what teaching is, is you're on a stage all day and you have to keep it up for the kids. So, so real. Yeah. We are on a stage. And for the people that forget that, I mean, I, I, that's where they lose that connection. And it, it is this fine line. You want to be real. You want to be transparent. You want to be open. You want to have honest relationships with kids. Yeah. But you are a performer. You, yeah. are, you are paid to perform for kids. You are paid to be on a stage and to do whatever it takes to engage them, inspire them, motivate them, and to get them to buy into what you are selling. And I, I know that there are people out there that say they completely disagree with that. Um, but I would also argue that they are probably the people that are not as engaged in the profession as they could be. Yeah. And they're it, not having any fun. Absolutely. It, it is fun. It's fun acting. 
it is fun truly acting like you absolutely adore every single kid every single day when you know most days you want to just rip your hair out and say oh my gosh what am i doing but you put on a show for those kids just like you do at home with your kids you know there are times when your own personal kids are driving you nuts but you smile and you say oh god bless you i love you um and then you just scream into a pillow but that's what it's about it happens it happens with adult relationships too with your own spouses at times you want to just scream yeah. But yeah. you know, when you do, it causes division. It's better sometimes just to smile through it and act like everything's great and then talk it out when you're calm. I just, you know, I see, you know, I come from obviously old school. So it's been, you know, I'm, I'll be 45 this summer. So, you know, back when I was in school, teachers did a lot of shaming of kids. And I don't see that hardly ever now. But when I do, it just tears my heart out, you know, and it's like, God, you know, this kid came in today. They at least got here and, and now they're just kind of getting browbeat and it breaks my heart when I see that, you know, because regardless, they're the kid, we're the adult and I, we need them to feel wanted and included and needed, you know, and if we're not doing that, they're not going to want to learn with us. They can't learn with us. So true. And for those of you that might've just had that technical glitch, I, I'm sorry if it's not like 45, she said 25, she'll be 25. <laughs> This year, so it, it was just it was just an issue with your audio. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm wondering it, the rest of your career, mm -hmm. uh, whether it's another 30 years or if it's another 10 years, whatever the case may be. Yeah. What What do you see that that the rest of your career looking like? Do you see yourself doing uh -huh. this? Can you do this for the rest of your career? I hope so. I mean, I've kind of come to realization the last couple of years that it's almost like the triangle's upside down. You know, we we have people telling teachers we got to pour into our kids pour into our kids and we do but there's nobody pouring into the teachers and there's nobody pouring into the administrators so that they can pour into the teachers so that they can pour into the kids so i really hope to kind of expand that and i've started in little ways like when i go in and um you know a kid's struggling and i'll give the teacher some suggestions but then i'm always like you know what this kid is it just your kid he doesn't just go to school at Smith Elementary in Mrs. Gonzalez's classroom, he's a kid on this campus. The whole campus needs to come together and help you support him, you know? And so this shouldn't always be on you to carry this emotional load, it's too much, you know? And, and then just helping administrators work with teachers and how can we start building teachers up and building their capacity and their stamina with kids because I mean, I go into some rooms and I'm like, I don't know how you do this every day. Like, thank you for just coming back every day, you know? And I just, they work so hard. And so I really kind of want to do that shift. I don't know what that looks like right now. I love my job. I get, you know. I'll, I'll tell you what it looks like. It looks like you're doing exactly what you're doing right now. Yeah. So you, you said that you're doing this in little ways. And I wrote that down here and circled it, put an exclamation point on it. And then I just crossed it off of my notes. <laughs> because again, yet another piece of BS from Michelle. Um, <laughs> You're not doing this in little ways. And I know this emphatically because you and I have never met face to face until today. No. We have never shaken no. hands. We never hugged. We never no. talked in real life. But you are impacting me in powerful, powerful ways. Well, that's I mean, such you, a compliment. Thank you. You inspire me to be better and to look at life in a better way. Yeah. So thank you. Although, you know, you, you might feel like you're just doing little things, but it's oftentimes when we do those little things that they have a big impact. Yeah. 
And I think it's important that we recognize that. It's not about grabbing the microphone and being on the big stage and um, whatever the case may be, having millions of followers or whatever the case may be. It's, it's living it, breathing it, and, and just being you in the realest possible way and sharing that story with the rest of us. That makes a huge, huge impact. So you, you are doing it. So yeah. you know that. You know, I was, t- I was having this conversation with my 15-year-old the other day. We were talking about grades and, you know, he's super, he's so much smarter than I am, but it's just like, he's not as mature emotionally. So, but one of these days like that, like he's going to surpass us, but we're talking and I, I always tell the kids, I'm like, you know, I don't, as long as I know that you're working and you're putting the effort in, I don't care about your grades. I care about your effort. Right. And we were talking and I was like, you know what, Colt? there are few things in life that aren't do over. I'm like, look at me. I've, I have a job that I love. I've gotten remarried. I'm happier than I've ever been. I've got the best husband, you know, I'm like, I've got you like every single thing that I've quote unquote failed at in life has all worked out pretty well for me. And he's like, yeah, you know what? That's true. And I'm like, so if we have to retake pre-AP algebra two next year, then we'll just retake pre-AP algebra two. Like it's not the end of the world. You know, and I think a lot of times with kids and school and teachers, like there's all this pressure that we have to get it right and get it, you know, right the first time and, you know, state testing and all this stuff. And it's like, you know, it's not that big of a deal. It's just not. So true. So true. And I don't even want to get, get started on the fact that there is a class called Pre-AP Algebra 2. That's a whole other story for another yeah. day. <laughs> yeah. I uh, definitely yeah. don't help with that homework for sure. Oh, like, good Lord. <laughs> <laughs> Might have to get on Khan Academy for that because yeah, it right? surpassed my yeah. my abilities. But yeah. <laughs> so can I, I, this might be related. So your your online handle on Twitter, Instagram, all those places yeah. is Michelle Hacks Edu. Yeah. Can you talk to us like why? Where did that come from? What's the what is the meaning? Hacking Edu. Well, I just thought that it doesn't have to be that. We make it so hard it doesn't have to be this hard, you know? And I think a lot of times people just don't have the faith in themselves. And so I'm like, you know, if I can give somebody some uh, confidence boost or, you know, a bucket of sunshine on a day when they need it, then I will. But I just think that there are easier ways to go through life. And one of them is always having that positive regard for people and always assuming the best. I mean, I don't want to assume the worst about anybody. I don't want to live like that. Right. So is that your goal through social media? Because different people have different agendas behind what they post. Some um, like to poke the bear. Some like to amplify themselves. Some like to just pay it forward. What is it that you try to do with your social media platform? I want to lift others up. That's so good. Yeah. I mean, I feel like teachers and educators and and I even struggle using the word teacher because I feel like that doesn't that's not enough. Like that's not a big enough word for what I see people do every day, you know? And, and, but I just feel like they do so much and they make such an impact and hardly anyone is their champion. And I want to be that for them because I see all of the amazing, great things that they do every day, you know? And it's just, I feel lucky that I even get to see it. Honestly. It's, that's amazing. So, so good. And, and the job that you do, I mean, truly God's work that you're doing, it would be so easy just to fixate on how hard your job is. And um, yeah. the fact that you are saying, yeah, it's okay, but I chose it. But I'm also going to celebrate everybody else that's out there doing their own version of God's work. It's just, 
That's powerful. I, I appreciate that more than you know. It's, it's inspiring to me and it's, um, it's a challenge to me to make sure that I live up to that standard as well because I think we all need to do that. We all need to just get out of our own way a little bit and recognize, yeah, it's hard. And because you're feeling it's hard, everybody else is too. So amplify somebody else. Yeah. Lift somebody else up. And Absolutely. then when other people are lifted up, they can help pull you up down the road as well. Absolutely. You know, I always tell people because they ask me why I do this and why do you work with those kids, you know, and I'm like, you know, every time I work with those kids, quote unquote, I feel better. Like they pour into me. I feel a lot better. I feel more content. I feel like I've accomplished something like I've done good work. When I work with kids that are struggling, that have behavioral issues, and sometimes I almost feel like I'm selfish because I get so much out of it that I'm not pouring enough back in, you know, and I really do think that um, the way that, you know, life kind of manifests and, and the twists and turns that we take, and it just kind of leads us in this path, I really do feel like I'm made to work with kids and teachers, you know. That's amazing. Yeah. Wow. So I, I got to ask you right now. Mm -hmm. um, so you, I mean, you have so much, so much truth, so much just pure optimism and hope. Um, what is it that you want to leave us all with? So what is that, that Michelle mic drop moment? What is that thing that you say throughout all of this? Remember, fill in the blank. You are enough. Is it really that simple? Is it just that you I are enough? You're enough I mean, for what? You're enough for anything that you put your mind to? Or? Absolutely. I mean, why does it have to be hard? Hmm. I mean, I'd never been on a podcast before, and I liked yours, so I just emailed you. And <laughs> Wow. That's, <laughs> I mean, you know, just take a chance, take a risk, and go. Well, yeah. yeah you know, and I've reached out to um, a couple of people on, like, social media that I'm really excited about. I want to like talk to a, a couple groups of kids and I'm like, you know what? I, they, they're super busy and they're like these educational thought leaders and they always like nine times out of 10 email back. I mean, you just, I feel like you, you people just have to have enough confidence in themselves. Like you're here for a reason and you are enough. Just you. That's right. If you don't have confidence in yourself, have confidence in others and assume that there are good people out there that will help you yeah. realize your potential. Absolutely. And I've been so blessed in that way too. You know, I've had great mentors and bosses and my boss now is like just a great guy. And, you know, I told him that today was big fat fail Friday. And, you know, he just laughed and he's like, well, I'm sorry I had to go through that. You know, he's just such a good guy. And it's like, man, I couldn't ask for a better boss, you know, so. That's so good. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you, Michelle, I couldn't have asked for a better podcast to record today. Um, <laughs> this is, this is one of those messages that I needed to hear. So as, as we're recording this, it's a Friday afternoon. I don't know what day it is that you're listening to this audience, but we're recording this on a Friday and we've all felt the Fridays. Fridays, you're supposed to feel whew, victorious and yay, I made it through the week. But sometimes you just feel like, holy crap, I'm, I'm glad I survived. Make and, that feel Friday. <laughs> right. And this, this was a message that um, was just what I needed to hear today. And well, I, I guarantee, because things always work out this way, that when this episode airs, it's going to be the message that other people need to hear as well at that time in their life when they need to hear it. So I, I appreciate your willingness and your transparency and your realness to just step up and say, you're enough. People just, just realize you're enough. You didn't, you didn't come up with any other platitudes or um, any process that we had to follow or a script. It's just believe in yourself. That's yeah. it. It's that simple. That's it. Wow, that's, that's the secret good. sauce.
That's good. That is so, so good. So good. I appreciate you being enough for this yeah. podcast and for taking time out of your busy schedule to find time to uplift, inspire, and motivate all of us. You are doing God's work every single day and uh, through just this conversation. So thank you so much. You're welcome. I can go to bed and rest easy tonight. I've done my job. Boom. There you go. Thank you so much. <laughs> You're welcome. Did you enjoy this episode? I hope so. If you did, feel free to keep listening by subscribing right now to the Lasting Learning Podcast and get new episodes as soon as they're released. Interested in knowing more about me, Dave Schmidow? Well, feel free to find out what makes me tick by reading one of my books, Bold Humility, or It's Like Riding a Bike. Feel free to check them both out on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or directly on my website, schmidow.net. That's S-C-H-M-I-T-T-O-U dot net.